Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 704 for the 31st of July, 2020. This week, a strong password helps keep your information private, but a single error can give control of your accounts to crooks. Setting up two-factor authentication is the best way to add security, and you might be surprised by how easy the process has become. In short circuits, Adobe has two painting applications, one for people who know how to draw and paint or want to learn, and another for those who just want to create painterly effects using their own photographs. We'll take a look at both. Earlier this month, I was about two seconds away from disaster as I held the mouse cursor over a poisoned link. Then logic kicked in. In spare parts, only on the website, potential disaster lurks behind more than 100,000 websites. These sites claim to have legitimate COVID-19 information. The pandemic is creating a severe supply shortage for information technology departments. And 20 years ago, online services were beginning to make it possible for travel agents to book ground transportation in addition to flights. A strong password helps to keep your information private and out of the hands of scammers. But it takes only one single error to hand that private information to crooks. Setting up two-factor authentication is the easiest way to add a layer of protection. It's also not as inconvenient as you might have thought. Google, Microsoft, LastPass, and others offer two-factor authentication services. Most of them are free or included with other services that you may already be paying for. The main point to two-factor authentication is to make it impossible for a crook to gain access to your account, even if your username and password have been compromised. There are three primary factors that can be used for authentication. First, something you know. That's the most basic method of authentication, a username and password. The trouble with passwords, though, is that someone else can obtain them and pretend to be you. Second, something you have. A phone that can receive text messages with an authentication code or an authentication application. The application provides frequently changed single-use passwords, and these typically consist of six digits. Physical tokens are also in that category. And third, something you are. That could be a fingerprint reader or an eye scanner or facial recognition built into a device. Using any two of those factors greatly increases security. Many people objected to using text messages because of the perceived delay in being able to log in, even though that delay is rarely more than a few seconds. Using an authenticator application on a smartphone reduces that delay to near zero because there's no need to wait for the service to send a one-time PIN. The app is updated constantly for each account where you have established two-factor authentication. The Google Authenticator has been around for quite a while, and it works on both Android and iOS devices. For many users, it is the best and easiest choice. 
The app is free. You can get it from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. After installing the app, which takes only a couple of seconds, setting it up to work with a site is easy. Take MailChimp, for example. This is a site I use to send information from the TechBiter Worldwide website. After logging into the account, I navigated to the Account Security section and selected an option to set up two-factor authentication. MailChimp displayed a QR code and an additional code I could type in if my phone had a problem with the QR code. It also provided a backup code that I was told to store securely so that I could use it to access the account if my phone went missing. So I scanned the QR code with Google Authenticator on the phone, and the Authenticator app returned a six-digit one-time password that I had to give MailChimp to confirm that I was who I said I was. I set up the Google Authenticator for several other accounts. Now when I log into MailChimp, I'm asked for my username, password, and the six-digit code that Authenticator provides. The code changes every 30 seconds, and each code is unique to a specific service. The Authenticator app shows the name of the service, the one-time code, and a visual indicator that shows how long it'll be before the code changes. Most authentication apps won't allow screenshots, so the images you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website were taken using a camera to photograph the screen of the phone. Facebook is another target that thieves like to attack, and setting up two-factor authentication is easy there. After you log into Facebook on a desktop system, click the down-pointing arrow at the right of the Notification and Help icons, then click Settings from the drop-down menu, and click Security and Login. Click Use Two-Factor Authentication, and then use the instructions that Facebook provides to finish the job. If you're using Facebook's app on a mobile device, tap the menu icon, that's the three horizontal lines, sometimes referred to as the hamburger icon, and then scroll down to Settings and Privacy, click it, tap Settings, then tap Security and Login. Then again, follow the instructions to set up two-factor authentication. Setting up two-factor authentication is easy for most services. But there are differences among them, though. That's one good reason for considering Authy instead. It's also free, and there is a tutorial for more than 60 online services. Microsoft, for example, has its own authenticator service, and if you try to set up two-factor authentication on your Microsoft account, you will be offered the Microsoft Authenticator in a way that's reminiscent of a magician who's attempting to force a card into the hands of a volunteer from the audience. Take any card, the magician says, while making sure that you take the card you're supposed to take. Authy explains clearly how to get past that. Because Authy's website lists more than five dozen services, you might decide to set up two-factor authentication for all of the sites and services you use. It takes surprisingly little time to do this, and then you'll get a very pleasant surprise. If you want to install Authy on more than one device, you can. You probably don't have more than one smartphone, but you probably do have one or more desktop or notebook computers, maybe an Apple or Android tablet, Authy can be set up on all of them. The hidden advantage there is that when you buy a new phone, you don't have to reauthorize every site. Just install Authy, and as long as your phone number hasn't changed, you'll be set up and running in a few seconds.
After enabling two-factor authentication, you might receive a notification from the website or service to confirm that you made the change. In most cases, you need to do nothing to confirm the change. Also, many operations allow you to skip two-factor authentication if you have logged on from a trusted computer. If you select that option, you won't be asked for a confirmation when you use the same browser from the same computer. Depending on the site's security policies, that exemption might be good forever or only for a specific period. This exemption is accomplished by setting a cookie on your computer, so using an application that removes browser cookies will also remove the exemption, and you'll be asked for a validation code the next time you log on. This is all about keeping your data, your photos, and your money safely out of the reach of crooks. So if you've put off setting up two-factor authentication, maybe now would be a good time to do it. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In Short Circuits, remember that scene in The Wizard of Oz where Dorothy and the Scarecrow encountered the Tin Woodman? Oil can, he said, oil can! And Dorothy wondered, oil can what? That might have been the best joke of 1939, playing on confusion about can as a verb, oil can do something or other, and can as a noun, the can full of oil. Maybe somebody at Adobe thought of that when they named the mobile app Paint Can, but I'm not going to say paint can what. At least, I'm not going to say it again. Last week, I summarized some of the changes to Adobe's big applications. This week, paint can and some of the other mobile apps earn a nod. Paint can isn't exactly new. In fact, Adobe actually released it back in 2015, but only for the iPad. Now it's available for the iPhone. Still not for Android devices, though. Bummer. Adobe has several drawing, painting, and image applications for portable devices, and we'll be taking a look at two of them. PaintCan, which is for the iPhone and iPad only, and Fresco, which runs on Windows, the iPhone, and iPad. Let's start with PaintCan, which is really a lot of fun. I would really like to see it come to Android devices, but for now it's just an iPad and iPhone app. I had a snapshot of Chloe Cat sitting on the bed, and you'll have to check the TechBiter Worldwide website to see these images. After all, this ain't television. Check out that image of Chloe Cat on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The resulting painterly-like image eliminates the cluttered background with impressionistic paint strokes. When a photo is imported into PaintCan, it will appear to be faded. That's because the app has placed the electronic equivalent of tracing paper on top of the image. As you're working on the image, you can temporarily lift the tracing paper by tapping the peak button, or hide the background image entirely by tapping the, yeah, you guessed it, the hide button. 
So for a little deeper look, we'll take a look at a photo I took at the Wilds, a place I'm looking forward to being able to visit again when or if we manage to beat the coronavirus pandemic. I had a photo of a giraffe. The giraffe was curious about whether we might have brought any lettuce with us. In fact, we had, and it proved to be a big hit. Paint Can's default settings place a white frame around the image and include a tagline that says created with Adobe Paint Can. Both of those options can be turned off if you don't like them. Zooming in tells the application to create finer brush strokes, and some of the presets automatically zoom in. I didn't care for that option, and I turned it off. I have to remember to zoom manually, but doing that also reminds me to think about what I'm doing. I used a slightly different approach with a photo of a Sichuan Takin. That's an animal that inhabits the same dense bamboo forest as the better-known giant panda. They're somewhat like a cross between a goat and an antelope. China gives these animals legal protection, but they are endangered by poaching and habitat destruction. The Wilds specializes in protecting endangered animal species. The paint can application is free, but it is currently, as I said, limited to Apple devices. Gobi is our favorite camel at the wilds, and he's the third image you'll see in this series on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Adobe's tagline for the app, by the way, is, with paint can, anybody can paint. And I think that's true. There are no instructions, so learning how to use it simply involves using it. The key is to figure out where you want to increase or decrease brush detail and which brush styles work best together. Zoom out for coarse, broad brush strokes. Zoom in to add detail. On the iPad, PaintCan offers both presets and manual settings. Just don't expect to be able to choose colors. That's not been added yet, but might be in the future. The app selects colors automatically, and the decision is based on colors in the image. Adobe's intent was to give even inexperienced users the easiest, quickest, and most successful painting experiences possible. Those were Adobe's words. So moving on to Adobe Fresco, it's another free app, but if you have a Creative Cloud subscription, you'll get more features. It's intended for people who really do know how to paint and draw, or for those who want to learn how to paint and draw. Because that's the case, and because I don't have a clue how to paint, and my examples would be really lame, the examples you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website have been created by people with real artistic talent. Designed for use with devices that can work with a stylus, Fresco can also be used with just a finger. It includes both vector and raster brushes and a variety of what Adobe calls live brushes to create a natural media experience. And I emphasize again here, unlike Paint Can, Fresco is intended for those who either know how to draw and paint or want to learn. Adobe provides instructional videos for this one, and that's where the images you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website came from. One brief video provides an overview using the creation of a painterly bottle. The application includes a wide variety of watercolor brushes that blend adjacent colors in a way that the user is able to control. In other words, you decide how wet the brushes are. Additional brushes are available for download. Some are free, others are not. 
The interface is surprisingly easy to figure out, even for somebody like me who has never done any painting and generally can't draw a straight line without pulling out a ruler. If you're interested in learning how to paint, or if you already know how to paint and wonder how the experience translates to electronic media, the free version of Fresco will get you started. Fresco is not included in the $10 per month Adobe Photography plan, so subscribing to Fresco's premium plan will cost you $10 a month for just the one application. Those who have a full Creative Cloud subscription will find that all the photography applications, Fresco, InDesign, Illustrator, Audition, and Adobe's many motion picture and video apps are all in that $50 a month plan. I spend a lot of time yammering about how most fraudulent messages are easy to spot. Yet, I do admit that it's easy to have a momentary lapse that results in clicking a bad link and ruining the rest of your day, or maybe the rest of your week, or possibly even longer. I was seconds away from doing something like that on a Tuesday afternoon earlier this month. Let me set the stage for you. It was after 5 p.m., hot inside, hotter outside, I was tired. A Facebook Messenger message popped up from someone I know. It had only a video link and the words, I looks like you. Not it looks like you or this looks like you, but I looks like you. Illogical, ungrammatical. Now the person whose account was used to send the message is an editor. To the best of my knowledge, we have never met in person. That means she doesn't really know what I look like. That's clue number one. Because she's an editor, she really wouldn't have written, I looks like you. There's clue two. So I typed a quick reply. I'm cautious about videos with no message, I wrote. What is this, please? There was no immediate reply. No reply two minutes later. No reply in five minutes. Well, there's clue three, and it was the deciding factor. If my acquaintance had sent the video, she would have been at the computer right then, and she would have seen my nearly instantaneous reply. She would have responded either with an explanation of what the video was, or a denial that she had sent it. Now this is one of those examples where somebody's account has actually been taken over, hacked, if you will, by bad guys. I visited her Facebook profile and left a message with the bad news. Two other acquaintances had already been there, and they had left similar messages. This wasn't a case of an account being cloned, because I had not received or accepted a new friend request from her. So I missed a potential disaster by about two seconds. That's the amount of time required to take a second look at a link and decide that something just doesn't look right. Spare Parts contains information about other dangers, and it's only on the TechBiter Worldwide website. This week, you'll find these articles. Potential disaster lurks behind more than 100,000 websites that claim to have legitimate COVID-19 information. The pandemic is creating severe supply shortages for information technology departments. And 20 years ago, online services were beginning to make it possible for travel agents to book ground transportation in addition to flights. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide.
the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.